Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Jim Wood talking about money and investing. Jim, I thought what we'd talk about today, the 20 must answer questions and some of the questions that I think are important for investors. And we've been using these for quite a while. Yes, we have. And it's one of those things that we use to help people understand what they need to know more about. One of those, those things. Now, I, um, we're actually engaged in this process of actually updating what we call an investor awareness guide. And like what we do in that, we have the bios of the various you know people that work with us. We got a lot of advisors. We've got 10 offices around Middle Tennessee and one in Texas. Don't ask how we ended up with one in Texas, but <laughs> we did. Uh, but the idea is that it just kind of, what is it you need to know in our backgrounds? Now, I don't know how you came to all of this, Jim, but I, I'm just gonna tell my, my story real quickly on how I came to all of this. I was at a conference in St. Louis, having a conversation with a guy. Matter of fact, today, uh, earlier today, and it just happened that they came from St. Louis and I said, hey, um, I said, I have fond memories of St. Louis because I was actually talking, uh, you know, talking to him about how I was sitting at a breakfast table one day and this financial advisor sitting across from me and there's this guy speaking and it was a small table. We we're just sitting there just having coffee and listening to the, what this guy had to say. And he was talking about annuities and there are various forms of annuities. A lot of times you hear us talk about annuities, not so glowingly, you know, indexed annuities and, and fixed annuities and variable annuities. And, and you have these mutual funds, for lack of a better word, inside of annuities. And you'll let them cloned after various fund companies. You look like you're about to say something. <laughs> no, I was just um, kind of thinking, well, in terms of, um, they call them sub-accounts, right? The, right. The, and they typically will refer to them as the VIP funds, which sounds really good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're very important. <laughs> it stands for var variable insurance product. Right. But, you know, it's a VIP. Oh, it must be a that, good that's one. That's funny. It's a good, good acronym to use, right? Uh, it's not a very inexpensive portfolio. It does not stand for that. But uh, yeah, being, you know, you have all these extra expenses in the funds. That's what's interesting about it. And yet what the study showed that he was referring to was how the funds actually outperformed the funds that they were cloned after. So in, in other words, you might have a fund by Fidelity or Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or, you know, Oppenheimer or whoever. Oppenheimer's still around, aren't they? I think I don't so. I think they are. <laughs> I think it's, it's funny because you'll have certain fund families. They'll have this great performance, and then they'll be on top of the mind, on, and everybody talks about them all the time. And then they don't have great performance. You never hear about them for two decades. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes they they just the opposite, that they'll be you know a well-known company, and then they'll have some funds that just something horrible happens, which in the case of Oppenheimer actually happened with the bond fund that they have. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the champ. <laughs> yeah. It became the chump. <laughs> the chump. <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. So what happened is that this guy's talking about how these funds had outperformed funds they were cloned after, which made no sense to me at all. And he goes, you ought to go study under these academics that are 
teaching, you know, they're, they're running around the country teaching about finance. And I thought, yeah, great. How much? Well, it's like $40,000 or something like that to go study. And, and where it was going to cost that amount of money to go do this. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I don't make more than 20 at the time. So hmm. it was a real soul searching thing for me to go, okay, I think I'll do this. And, you know, hence I did. And there was just a lot of travel, the expenses and, and everything that went with that. But it was just a real, you know, I, I had to do it. So I did that. And then what we did is we put together this investor awareness guy just talking about that history and that background and, and you know, things that I thought people should know. And hence we came up with these questions. But I was, it was funny because I said, Michael, can you print this for me? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So he printed these questions for me. And then I was, I was sitting there waiting for the printer to start going. And I read this, this book and I just grabbed this book that um, I refer a lot of kids to. Have you ever read this, Jim? Richest, been a while. Richest Man in Babylon? Yeah. Okay, so a lot of younger people, I'll say, hey, you know, go read this book. It just kind of gives you some, a really simplistic way of looking at finance and just things you ought to think about, common what, sense. What ages are you, are you talking about when you say young people for that book? I, I think, gosh, I was 25 <laughs> when I read it and it was good. Uh, but I think, you know, age 15 on, you might read something like this. It's not bad. How did you end up with, because you were working with teachers, how did you end up finding about the, all of the academic research? And Well, it really went through, it was, it was kind of through the downturn of 2008, the Great Recession. Okay. And I just saw portfolios just getting crushed uh-huh. and didn't really have a good answer for people other than, well, you probably should hold on. But I didn't really understand the academics behind it. I Sure. My outlook from when I got into the career through that time had been doing what the broker dealer told me to do. Right. They told me how to move yeah, product your, your and things employer. like that. Mm-hmm. So kind of going through that and wanting better answers in terms of helping my clients, I started studying um, you know, the academic side of investing and through that got in touch with some people that kind of helped mm-hmm. kind of mentor me a little bit more in that way and eventually ended up leaving the broker dealer um opening up my own company that takes guts and that's that how takes I, guts just to pick up and leave yeah and that that's actually how i ended up getting to know you because we yeah. go to the same conferences and things like that right and, right and but i it got takes the chance guts. to come to nashville but it takes guts to just pick up and do that it was not an easy choice it was uh, well you know you say that i was talking about this uh there was a um there was a study done that i talked about a little while back and it was about people that were in it, it was it was this back in the set back in 1940s where this guy went and infiltrated a cult i don't know if you heard me do this on the radio I, this sounds familiar go ahead infiltrated the cult and then what happened is he was the cult was a doomsday cult and this lady says the world's gonna end on this day and they're like oh great the world's gonna end but there's more you can get saved by a spaceship and it's going to be coming at midnight on this particular day. It was like December 20th or something like that. And then what happened was that some people freaked out and they sold everything. So they sold their homes, they sold their possessions, they sold everything. And then some people just hunkered down in their homes and they were scared to death going, you know, the world's going to end. And then what happened when, that date came and left and the world didn't end. 
the people that were in their homes hunkering down just said, oh, I feel like a fool believing this stuff. And they just walked away. But the people that sold everything doubled down and they actually went to the media saying, well, this is what happened. The world didn't end, but here's what's going to happen next. And and it reminded me of the investing industry. If you're making a ton of money in the investing industry and you're doing all of the things that we preached about not to do forever on this show, you're going to be hard pressed to walk away from it. Now, I was broke. <laughs> it was easy it was easy for me to walk away from broke. And I don't know how you were doing, but you know, I I I'm guessing that you were probably weren't, you know, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and and driving uh, you know, I took a big cut when I had to leave because I just felt Did that you really? going uh, going to the future, um, you know, I wanted to have better control over the choices for my client. I figured long term that would work out better, even if I did poorer. So in you the short did this term. out of integrity. <laughs> I'm, I'm, impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. I did it because I was broke and it was integrity, but it was a broke. I was, you know, I just. <laughs> can't do this. It's, it's funny. Uh, not funny if you're, if you actually live through it, but anyway, so this book, you know, that I, I recommend, I often talk about, you know, things about budgeting in the book to younger people. And I use some examples, but I opened up randomly to a page. And in this page, it, it, it says, you know, so the richest man in Babylon is giving advice to these people that are broke. And in this one section, it says, you tell me, much that I'm interested to hear, ventured Rodan. That was one of the characters in the book. But I hear no answer to my question. Should I lend 50 pieces of gold to my sister's husband? Don't lend any money. It's just, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> they mean much to me. <laughs> so, um, so he says, should I lend, you know, and that was there. It's set in ancient Babylon. So he's going to lend gold, right? Uh, my sister is a sterling woman whom I do much esteem, should her husband come to me and ask to borrow 50 pieces of gold, I should ask him for what purpose he should use it. If he answered that he desired to become a merchant like myself and deal in jewels and rich furnishings, I should say, quote, what knowledge have you of the ways of trade? Do you know where you can buy it at the lowest cost? Do you know where you can sell it at a fair price? Could he say yes to these questions? No, he could not, Rodan admitted. He has helped me much in making spears and has helped some in the shops. Then I would tell him that, I, that his purpose was not wise. Merchants must learn their trade. His ambition, though worthy, is not practical, and I would not lend him any gold. So, and, and you know, that, that's kind of like a goofy little story, but it has some real serious meaning for an investor. If you don't know what the heck you're doing, and you don't really know if the investment advisor knows what they're doing. Because what people don't recognize is investment advisors, to become an investment advisor does not take a lot of education, unfortunately. And you know, here, I, I actually require everybody to be a degree planner, number one. And that's just where you start. Then you have to have an academic background in investing. You gotta understand about you know, some of the things that we're going to talk about in a couple seconds here. But the problem is that most investment people, you know, they go get a Series 65. I mean, you probably guessed, did you get Series 6 or Series I 7? I had a Series 7, Series 66. So you went even further, got the Series 7. 
But you know, the, if you look at that, it just tells you how to trade options. And I remember Series Seven; it was a tough test. Yeah, there was there was more stuff. Uh, most of the the test was focused on things I've never done. But it was it, in, well said. It was literally things that he's never done because it really didn't fit into any of the academic molds. It was more about how to sell different things like options, contracts. Remember pricing options? Oh, yeah. Remember all that on, on the test? Yeah, so you know a lot of the things that investment advisors learn is not necessarily to help you become a better investor. It's to help them sell investments and stay within compliance rules. I mean, that was, a, that was the Series 63 was that. It was all compliance, the blue sky laws. Remember that? Oh, yeah. You know, so you, you have that. So uh, a, a lot of times people don't know what the, not only what they don't know, as a client, but what the investment advisor doesn't know. Okay, so the very first question we're gonna start with right here is, have you discovered your true purpose for money, that which is more important than money itself? I've heard people say that's kind of foo-foo, that's you know really, um, you know, it's kind of touchy-feely, what's my purpose for money and blah, blah, blah. But it's really, really important because if you don't have kind of what, what's my purpose for money, What's the problem that you run into in your mind, Jim? Well, you have to have your values aligned with what the money's doing for you. And if, we're not talking about ESG investing here, by the way. Not yeah. in environmental social governance investing. But yeah. Your values, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just uh, your in terms of your purpose in life, what are the what are the aspects of life that are most important to you? What drives you? What you know keeps you up at night, gets you up in the morning, those things, and then having your finances drive uh, aligned with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's very true because you know I think back to like if you go back to the Old Testament Ecclesiastes, where you have Solomon basically saying, "Hey, you know what? There's never enough. The eye is never satisfied. The the ear is never filled." You know, so the reality of it is, if you don't really kind of know what is what is money for what's in why is it important what your desire will be as an investor is just more 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 higher returns higher returns higher returns and that's why people get sucked in because so often how the investing community sells to you and sucks you in is greed and they'll, they'll use past performance. Look at the past performance of this fund. Look at the past performance of that fund. And then what happens is they pull you in to buy things. You know, hey, the taxes will be lower here if you do this. The returns are higher. You can get returns with no risk in this investment. So you got, you know, they will pull you in on your base desires and they will play to your emotions and your instincts. And that's what happens. All right. So that's just, why it's important to know your purpose. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and the, I, when I did the exercise, True Purpose for Money, I came out the, the first time, uh -huh. and my purpose, down to drilled down to one word, was freedom. Uh -huh. And so thinking that in terms of finances, it's just like, how do I arrange my finances to give myself the most choices, the most freedom? And then share that freedom with my family That's and share that yes. freedom with my clients and the world. Yeah, that that, was that, 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 I was hoping you'd say that because that's one of the things that, that I find for people is whatever your purpose is, whatever you think is important, that's what you share with the world as well. You don't just keep it to yourself. Yeah, so I'm really glad you brought that up right there. So purpose, it may sound a little bit, uh, but, but it's really important because it, what it does is it guides your finances too. And, and what I mean by that is so often what we do as investors is we buy a really nice car, we buy a really, really nice house, and we spend money on things that aren't really all that important. And the reason we do that is because 
if, let's say, that you really want to try to, um, you know, you, you buy the, the nicest car. A lot of times what you're trying to do is you're trying to connect with people. And you're trying to connect with people in all the wrong ways. So like, you know, people will buy a super, super nice car to try to impress people. And you're trying to impress people because maybe, I don't know, I mean, you know, and for any, any number of reasons. I remember, you know, so many people in high school and you think about how the rejection that people faced and then what they do is they spend the rest of their life trying to show how worthy they are to those people in high school that never liked them, you know? So I think that's why purpose is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was just thinking back, I wanted to add one comment on the mm -hmm. options tradings because we, oh, yeah, yeah. Cause, we all had to take those tests and things yes. like that. And I just it made me think that the worst portfolios that had ever been brought in here with clients losing the most amount of money mm -hmm. and having the most losses um, in their portfolio that we had to help them fix were portfolios where the advisor was trading options. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You know, there are people, but what causes people to engage in that type of trading? Because it's sold, those types of investments are sold based on you be able to get much, much higher returns. You can magnify the returns and you can, but you also magnify the losses too. Yeah, I think a lot of times people will tell them and we're going to do options happened. and we're going to avoid risk. But that certainly from those cases brought in was absolutely not the case. Yeah, and no, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and, and you know, we can, we can protect your downside is what they'll say. Yeah, but just wanted to circle back on that real quick. So no, no, I'm glad you did. You know, I'm super, super glad you did. Because, so, so that's the very first question right there is, you know, purpose for money. Then the second one is this, are you, are you aware of the mental biases and blind spots that you're likely to face as an investor? I know that that's like one of your favorite topics. Oh, it absolutely is. In terms of the different biases that affect our thinking, I think mm -hmm. it's just a phenomenal field of study. And there's so much any interesting information. And there's so much that people are unaware. And, you know, myself included, in terms of how we process information out in the world mm -hmm. with those biases just happening automatic without any giving them any conscious thought. Yeah, sure. And, you know, like, for example, hindsight bias. Well, the thing that I just knew that thing was going to do well, I just knew it was going to do well. Well, greed kicks in, and this is, if I had just gone with my hunch, this is how much money I would have had, uh, you know, if I had done that. And then what I do is I kick myself and say, well, next time I'm not going to ignore my, my hunch, you know, so to speak, my gut feeling. Because, you know, the gut feeling was right last time, and we forget all the gut feelings that we've ever had that were totally wrong. <laughs> we remember the ones. And then, you know, you have confirmation bias. I look for things that confirm what I believe. You know, if I believe something that is, um, you know, about investing, I will, you know, like, for example, I believe that, uh, you know, that international stocks, or I believe that U.S. stocks, that U.S. markets are going to, going to do well. Let me just use that as a, just a, as a really easy one. If I believe they're going to do well, I will look around and I will see articles talking about how U.S. stocks are going to do well and international is going to do poorly. Or vice versa. If I just think that, you know, the U.S. is washed up and it's over and it's no good anymore, I will find nothing but articles everywhere that telling me that international stocks are where it's at. And what will happen is that confirmation bias will cause me to make a mistake by either in the first case investing mainly in U.S. or in the second case mainly investing in international or, or whatever. You know, so that, that's, that's typically what, 
drives my behavior is my looking for something that confirms what I already believe. So those biases are really important. We could spend an entire show on that, but you know, and we have, and we have, (laughs) and I'm just going to keep going. The next one is, are you invested in the market? And we'll spend a little bit of time is what is the market and why do we invest in the market? Because I think that's really important to understand why that's such a crucial question in the must answer questions. Uh, because a lot of people aren't. They, they avoid the market because they're scared of it. We fear that which we don't understand. And if we understand a little bit more about it, it's, you know, it doesn't, we don't feel so threatened by it. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. I talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. You want to find out more about that? You go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I hope you enjoy. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on questions that I think are really important that investors be able to answer. Because if you can't answer these questions, and they're not hard questions, it's not like, you know, how do you measure the standard deviation or the level of covariance between various asset classes in your portfolio or not that? How do you determine, you know, the, the taxation of a non-qualified portfolio and you know and it's like you know not you know and how do you reduce the taxation of a non-qualified portfolio how do you handle management fees to reduce the taxation of dividends and you're, you know we're not talking about or how do you rebalance in the most tax efficient man you know you don't have to know that kind of stuff but i think it's important that you understand that stuff can be known i suppose that yeah, i suppose that's important uh but um so next one is is uh are you invested in the market okay so what market uh, so you got different different markets. You have it in a in a big picture. You have the stock market, and then you have the bond market. And I said, I guess you could look at you know short term fixed income like the CD market or something like that. You'd be investing in the gold market. That's not something that you should invest in because it's a commodity or the you know or cryptocurrencies or something like that. That's another market. There are certain markets you want to stay the heck away from. You know, yeah, the I mean, options. There's, there's pork bellies. There's, you know, options. There's commodities. You know, there's, you know, black market goods. There's there, all kinds of markets. But in this case, referring to obviously equity market, which consists of thousands and thousands of individual stocks. And also there is a difference between equity markets when it comes to private markets and public markets. So you can have private markets and private equity is something that's really getting big in the investing community. The problem that we run into there is that you have a lack of transparency. 
What do I mean by that? So when I have a private company, it's not a publicly traded company, I don't have to give much information. And thereby, what happens with people investing in those private companies, they don't have much information about them as to being able to figure out what the value is. If I really don't know what's going on underneath the hood, how do I determine what the actual value I'm paying, whether it's a fair value? So that there can be problems there. Uh, and then when you're dealing with public markets, you're having you know, trading going on on a regular basis. And that information has to be publicly available so as to create fairness and, and, uh, and be able to actually come up with numbers that make sense based on all of the information that has to be made public. So that's, that's why I think that that's important. Public markets uh, making a distinguishing, uh, you know, make, make it dis just distinguish between public versus private markets. Uh, the other thing is, is stocks. Now, okay, so we got stocks. Now we can break that up. We can say, okay, well, what kind of stocks? Well, we can have very, very large companies. You can have very, very small companies. Uh, you can have companies that are a billion dollars. You can buy the whole company for a billion dollars. And I liked it so much, I bought the company. Remember that commercial? Oh, yeah. Was there's, that Gillette or something? It was, yeah, it was or a razor Norelco. company. Norelco. Norelco. Yeah. It was a razor company, but there's there's somebody yeah, else was... out there doing that same bit right now. That oh, seriously? I, uh, yeah, and I've, it's recently, these commercials are running right now. Oh, and that's I, funny. I wish I could remember the exact company, but. Well, I, I couldn't tell you. If it was a commercial, it was done in the past yeah. <laughs> 20 years. I can tell you a commercial that ran 20 years ago. Uh, but um, but anyway, so yeah, that that was you know, a small cap company, they're, they're going to be of a size that you might, there are some people out there that have a billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was saying, you think, I mean, a billion dollars is still a lot of money. That's still sure a pretty is. big company, oh, yeah, but in relation to trillion dollar companies, multi-trillion dollar companies, sure. Apple, Microsoft, you know, yeah. then that kind of puts it in perspective. So yeah, you're going to have very, very large cap companies. You have very, very small companies. Then you'll have growth companies, companies that are growing rapidly. And, and you know, you have, and you think, well, that's, that's what I want. I want growth. Well, you know, those are companies that are growing rapidly but they sell for very high prices compared to their earnings. So therefore their ability to actually deliver higher returns is actually less ironically when you're, than when you're dealing with value companies historically. 96% of 20 year periods, just to reiterate that, reiterate that statistic, 96% of 20-year periods, value companies outperform growth companies. So you'll have different markets like that. Yeah, like they always put it, that doesn't mean they're going to grow just because they're called growth companies. It means they have grown. Right. And then you'll have international companies. So you, when you're looking at international companies in general, you're looking at companies that are established markets like Germany and France and Australia and you know Sweden, you know, so in a country of Japan. Uh, you're looking at countries that are well known, well established. Maybe we have treaties with, you know, for example, they're they're covered under under treaties, uh, or you know, they're established markets. Then you'll have emerging markets, which you might have treated, but you know, they're really they're just less established as far as being having been out there for a long period of time. So you'll look at, you know, like Thailand, maybe, or Brazil, or Chile, or, you know, or, you know, or even um, Israel would be that, uh, South Korea. Uh, you know, so those are, those are countries that we would fit into emerging markets. So you'll have those different markets. Now, markets, when we invest in markets, why do we invest in markets? Well, because historically, one of the biggest things that can absolutely destroy your investment portfolio is inflation. 
because, you know, back in the 1930s, you could buy a whole house for $30,000. Now it's $300,000. So you look at that and go, wow, I need 10 times as much money. Yeah, you do. Well, how do I protect myself against that? Well, I have to have something that historically protects against inflation and stocks do that. Why? Because companies charge money for things. There were companies that charge monies for the things that went into the house that you own. You know, the carpeting, the, the, uh, you know, the countertops, uh, the plumbing, the electrical. And what happens is when you buy those companies, they charge for those things and they increase the price that they charge for those things to protect themselves from the devaluation of the currency. So when you own companies, you own those companies that are increasing those prices and thereby that's, that's the protection that we have had from the erosion of the purchasing power of the dollar. Right. I mean, those companies, they increase the prices, which in, you know, their intent certainly is to maintain and even increase corporate earnings and long-term stock prices and corporate earnings are very, very highly correlated. They mm -hmm. move very, very similar. Yeah. And look, look at the history of what an acre of land sold for 40 years ago in your community. Now, chances are probably pretty good that an acre of land sells for a higher price than it did, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Well, companies put their operations on what? Land. And they own that land. And you own that land as being the company owner. So thereby, all of these things play into it. Uh, so, you know, why invest in the market? Well, that's it. If I look at fixed income investments, uh, they just basically move with inflation and not, not much protection. You know, so when we look at fixed income investments like CDs, like money market accounts, like savings accounts, like an annuity products, fixed annuity products, like, you know, fixed bonds and treasury bills and so on and so forth, these are all things they're, they're all things that do that. They protect us. Right. And well, we were just in a way this. from market, uh, you know, vicissitudes, right? Yeah. Well, we were, we were having this conversation the other day in terms of we, we get this really cool book. Mm -hmm. It's called The Matrix Book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it has these huge charts of all kinds of different markets and, and things like that. And it also has charts on fixed income, long-term bonds. Mm -hmm. And what, in particular, we start talking about, you know, short-term treasuries. Yeah. And it shows the whole history of those. And you see this big page full of all kinds of numbers, and they're all black. Yeah. Means there was they never went down. They were all positive. Then you go over to the page. They, they went down in a year by year, but they didn't go down in the, over the long run. Yeah, it just yeah. it just. Uh, but then you turn the page uh -huh. to the inflation adju inflation adjusted numbers. Yeah, and you see a sea of red. Yeah. And that's really, I think people forget that sometimes that cash can often be going broke safely because prices yeah. are going up. If you're, if prices are going up at a rate higher than your cash is going up, your numbers might not change, but the basket of goods that you can buy is constantly shrinking. Right. And, and what Jim's talking about, that sea of red, what you're looking at is you're looking at the longer term returns. So you look at maybe the, year, the return from 1947 to 1972. Uh, or, you know, 1973 to 2004 or whatever. And when you look at the return between those two dates for fixed income investments, it's red because the return is negative. You're losing money. And you might be losing money at 1% per year. You go over a long period of time and, and, you know, after a while you're broke, right? So it's important to understand that fixed income investments have never been good at protecting against inflation. So hence, the reason that 
Question number three, are you invested in the market is so important is because that has been the protector against inflation historically. Okay, so next question, do you know the three warning signs that you may be speculating with your money versus prudently investing it? The vast majority, I'm going to tell you the vast majority of people in the sound of my voice, I'm going to say because of the research that I've seen, and it is so pervasive, are speculating with their money and they don't recognize that they're doing it. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.